All right, welcome back to Agency Journey. This is your host, Gray McKenzie from Zen Pilot. And this week, I've got the pleasure of bringing on Ali Schwanke from Simple Strat. Ali's known for a number of things in the HubSpot ecosystem. Um, and you've got an awesome story, Ali. So I'm excited to dig into it today. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. This is awesome to talk to you because actually, I think I first was introduced to you through the podcast multiple years ago. So excited to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's start with um, Simple Strat. What, tell us a little bit about the agency. Who do you help? How do you serve them? Yeah, the best way for us to encompass that is think about yourself as a business owner or a maybe even a marketer that wants to do more with less. And HubSpot is a tool in order to do that. We actually found ourselves uh, creating content around it. And that's kind of how we found our expertise and we found our, our niche down. But what that means today is if you are looking to get more out of a, a sales marketing automation platform and you want to use HubSpot, we are the experts on that. And we work with agencies, we work with um, people that are in marketing departments, we work with founders uh, across multiple industries and nationwide. Yeah. Did the business start uh, around HubSpot or what's the what's the origin story? Yeah. So it's funny that um, I there's multiple parts of our journey that I think is any business owner or agency founder has said, this is going to be the thing. And often the thing that you think is going to be the thing never. It's like some random thing in the corner. And that's kind of how we started. When I first started the agency, I sat down at my kitchen table and I kind of had this manifesto. I, I typed out all the things I believed to be true about marketing. And I remember taking it to my husband and kind of printing it off. He's not a marketer. He now works in sales, but he didn't at the time. And I had presented it to him and I thought it was wonderful. And he was like, you know, you get the spouse that's like, good job, honey. And you were just like, this is my heart. I poured it out. It's here on this paper. Um, and ultimately what I, you know, kind of centered around was strategy. I saw a lot of people jumping into tactics and trying to find the silver bullet and that's not, that hasn't gone away, actually. It's probably getting worse. But I wanted to be a strategy firm. And at that time, we needed to kind of attach ourselves to some credibility in the marketplace. And HubSpot Partnership was a way to do that. And we quickly learned that HubSpot Partnership means you pay a bunch of money to get a badge. And you're just like everybody else. So our expertise actually came from creating content around HubSpot, which meant we had to stay on top of it. We then visibly looked like we knew what we were doing better. And it's actually just catapulted us to the front and center. And we, we, didn't, we decided to stop doing anything else that's not HubSpot. Yeah. When did you make that decision? We went all in on HubSpot. I remember Tyler and I, uh, my co-founder, were sitting at, there's a coffee shop down the road. They have a conference room. We're now all remote. So we're like, woohoo, you know, get this conference room. You had to schedule it for $40. You had to buy up to $40 worth of coffee. So we're both getting like these giant coffees with like big muffins so we can use our $40 worth of credit. And um, we said, it seems really difficult right now to compete on content marketing, marketing retained packages, because everyone's doing that. So what if we went all in on HubSpot and we just played there? And that was kind of, I mean, it was loosely defined at that time. We didn't know what that looked like. But um, now two years later, that was maybe three years ago. Uh, but, you know, a short period of time, we now have have continued to live through that. Yeah. So in the HubSpot ecosystem, you are really well known for the HubSpot Hacks YouTube channel. Is that when YouTube started? Were you already doing YouTube before that? And then you just turned the dial up or were there, was there a different... Uh, like predecessor stage of how you went all in on HubSpot and what that looked like marketing wise? Yeah, the predecessor to that was us trying to run a local user group. And that was kind of the vehicle at that time. It was pre-pandemic. So companies were remote. There was definitely virtual options, webinars, but people were used to kind of getting together and hiring local teams to help them. And so we were based in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is, um, you know, we'd like to think that we're pretty progressive, but outside of the Midwest region, people actually just ask, like, where is Nebraska again? What? Sure. Do you guys have running water? <laughs> yes, we do. And so we ended up just really struggling to find our footprint in the user group 
ecosystem around us. And a lot of DIY marketers like, thanks for the knowledge, but we don't need to hire you guys. So when we went to YouTube, we had been trying to do YouTube. My advice for anybody looking to emulate a content creator is go back as far as you can to try and find the stuff they first did. And if you find the stuff that we first did, I mean, our tags on YouTube, Gray, were like Midwest. Yep. Right. And like right. marketing. I've been there. <laughs> Woohoo. Good job, YouTube strategy. <laughs> so when we first started on YouTube, we were doing videos about just generic marketing stuff. And the one client we had that was not HubSpot, they were a software company. We said, what if you would create tutorials to better learn how to use your product? Their product was complicated. And they said, interesting, but we're going to go in a different direction. So we said, well, what if we just, I'm kind of a person that wants to prove things to people. I'm like, seriously, listen to me. Right. And so Tyler and I both put together a concept of just recording Loom videos and optimizing for better search on what people were saying online and how they searched. It was a big point in time where everyone was actually searching for things that are like how to do X in the words of the customer, not this superfluous jargon stuff. So we did that with Loom videos and we started to see traction. And then we decided to double down and actually make it a separate channel, invest in production and process. And um, it took six months until it got us off the ground. And then once we started being known as the quote unquote HubSpot people, we'd been the HubSpot people locally for two years. Suddenly we released a video a week and everyone's like, whoa, where have you been? And right. So it was just kind of a, a good learning experience. Yeah. What are you using today to do that same kind of like keyword research or planning out what what topics you're going to um, create content on? Yeah, we have a couple of things that um, I think one of the things that helps us with our content calendar is we look at YouTube for a couple of different reasons. One is definitely search traffic. Um, two is efficiency of us helping our clients, period. So if our clients, let's say, so Will on our team brought a topic up a while ago that he says, Every consultation, I do these things called like the five things you should do to set up your HubSpot portal. He's like, we go over them on the call. I send them the recording of the call, but it really should just be a five-minute video. So we shot that video, optimized it the best we could for search. But the primary use case of that is after every single initial consultation, they get that video. Yep. So we're kind of dual-purposing it. Um, but we're using um, uh, TubeBuddy to do some keyword research there. We have an air table that anytime someone asks us, do you have a video about this? We've now been talking to HubSpot reps, like, what do you wish you could send to your clients? Um, so we're trying to tap into the, we call it the mothership. Um, and then ultimately, like, we're seeing what people are commenting on as far as comments on YouTube. And then anything that our competition's ranking on that we don't have a good video for, we put that in there as well. Yeah. Wait, so are you, were you saying the Airtable you make public or a version of that public to HubSpot team members or no? We don't at the moment. No, okay. um, we do have an intake form that we can have people fill out if they want to request a, a topic. Yeah. Do you know, is, is anybody doing that right now as a, um, you know, everyone's trying to get the ears of more HubSpot reps and be the, like the go-to resource uh, for their direct sellers. Are you aware of anybody who's done that where they've created the resource? Like, Hey, when you have this question, you know, so I could see giving them the air table and say, hey, just type in whatever the question is. Here's the answer. And it all links conveniently to our own stuff, you know, primarily. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anyone do that. I haven't seen anyone do that. I've seen another agency put together a how we help HubSpot reps, Yeah. Um, which that's pretty smart, I do yep. think. Um, but yeah, they. Th th what we found out was there was a lot of turnover with HubSpot reps during COVID. Sure. And so even any relationships we'd built before kind of had to start over and, and at least like a lot of agencies had turnover too. So people had to kind of refigure out like who to work with and why to work with them. And so HubSpot hacks has helped keep us top of mind for that too. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you were telling me a little bit about some, uh, uh, I think there's a, a mindset shift and, and kind of, uh, you know, 
separate, like, hey, what's the long-term plan for the agency? Um, can we talk about some of your mindset shift and what is what, what did you mean by talking about like, hey, are we building a product company or a services company? Yeah, when I started the company, I, and I, I had that manifesto and I think as a as a marketer turned agency owner, I have long seen myself as a very good marketer. I'm a very good marketer. I'm a very good communicator. I'm a good content creator. And that's my lane. And I know how to, I know how to drive in that lane very, very well. And so, especially when you have skills like that and you don't come from a, like, I was not in a CMO of a giant company with a giant team. Like I'm not opposed to getting my hands dirty. That also comes with the risk of any time something like breaks down or something I, I jump in and I, I do things. Right. So when you look at how to grow a company, a lot of times if you Google this and you read on Entrepreneur or McKinsey or even you know first round review, you come up with ideas that are based on product companies or e-commerce or retail or manufacturing, whatever. We're selling towers and we're selling trust and we're selling you know intangibles. And when I realized that we're a service company, I had to take a step back. And this has been a challenge for me to say, how do I become the best president owner of a services business versus the best marketer anybody knows. And I'm still working on that. What, um, what are the types of things that you're doing with that different mindset, uh, communities you're in like training or programs that you've gone through? Like what, what types of things has that led you to already? Yeah. I mean, this podcast has been an excellent resource for that. I mean, systems and processes, that's kind of the name of the game. Um, as we were talking about before we started recording, I, I run my house like that. I run my house so that my house hopefully doesn't need me when I'm not here. Um, you know, my kids have lists, my dogs have schedules. I mean, even like the bills and everything like just runs on clockwork. But when I look at the agency structure for me, it's how do I help now level up team members? And so instead of looking at how do I solve the problem, it's how do I teach them how to solve the problem? And, um, even our HubSpot hacks, we have a a YouTube template that is used. We have an editing team. We have a process. We have a how you record it. We have like we have all these pieces now that if I were to step out, hopefully for you know six months, that can continue without me. And that's I think sometimes your ego takes a hit there because it's like oh they don't need me anymore. Yeah. But that's actually the best place to be because my my energy should be spent on innovation and ideas, and and making sure that we're hitting our metrics, which that shouldn't, and it shouldn't require me to jump in and try to save everything all the time, which I've worked for people. I think I've worked for people that do that too. Yeah. So, um, it's just a, a bad place to be. That makes sense. I just, um, just a little bit ago, I was talking with, um, Carl Sakis. Oh yeah. Who wrote work less, earn more. And he's got these, uh, what do you call this? The four stages of day-to-day involvement. Yeah. And so if you picture like a fuel gauge, I realize most people will not be on YouTube, will not see this. But his four stages are, hey, you go from being mandatory to necessary to needed to optional. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of our identity that gets wrapped up in stuff. And um, you know, I think that like, how do I go from being necessary to needed is like his distinction that I hadn't thought about before reading that book. But I really like that uh, necessary is like you have to be there for it. Needed is like, hey, you're needed at some point in time for some things. And also in any business, like, you'll be at different stages at different points in time. Hey, in the sales process, I'm mandatory right now, but mm-hmm. you know, in delivering to the client, I'm optional or I'm you know, necessary here and I'm needed there. Um, so yeah, I think that is deeply tied to our identity. I think one thing that you said there is like going from how do I jump in and solve it to how do I teach other people to jump in and solve it? And I think there's another level that's like, 
how do I spend my time recruiting and finding the people who know how to solve it, you know, without me having to teach, like they're farther along in a specific area than I am in figuring out like when is the right application of all three of those. Uh, it's definitely a, a challenge, but a cool learning opportunity. Yeah, I think some of that also comes with the, like we just went through a change in our family and my older son went to college. And so because my personal life was going through this, like you're needed, but not really anymore. Um, you know, they still like, he still calls and there's a funny, there's a TikTok that is a picture or it's a, it's a video of a guy calling his mom and the, the phone just rings and rings and rings and rings. And it says POV when you're trying to figure out if you're doing this adulting thing, right. You know, your mom doesn't answer because you're trying yep. to basically check all the time. But I do think that we, one of the things that's hard for leaders to do is to watch their team fail because we, it's inherently also our failure and we don't like that feeling. And so when you have to, especially in a world where everyone's kind of padded and, and we all like, we, we talk about fail fast and fail this and fail that, but it's actually hard and it actually, it sucks to fail. It yeah. really does. And if you send an email out, I remember the first time that one of my early employees had messed up and he said, Allie, I meant to order 2000 flyers and I ordered 20,000. Yep. Okay. So it was a couple hundred dollars, but he's like, I'll pay for it. It's fine. And I said, you know what? I'll pay for it. It's a mistake. W tell me what you can learn from this. And he's like, we always double check the, the proof or the whatever. And I guarantee you he'll tell that story probably the rest of his life as well. Right. 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 That makes sense. Um, let me switch to like long-term plans for the agency and how we should be thinking about it. How has your mindset shifted around like, hey, what is this agency here to do um, kind of over your your career owning it? We initially started, I, again, I wanted to put that stake in the ground and, and have a strategy product. We actually had a software that very similar story to yourselves. Like we had started building something and kind of realized the inherent value around it wasn't necessarily the product, but the process around it. So we've taken that sort of templated and, and process problem solving thinking. And that's how we approach our, our HubSpot scenarios. So when we're in a HubSpot environment and someone's saying, I want to do this, like we don't typically have cookie cutter, you know, implementation. We don't have cookie cutter recommendations because every input's going to be a little bit different. So what it looks like for us is we want to be the absolute best at learning how to use the tool in a variety of, of application settings and industries because we know the tool so stinking well that we know how the how to answer that question faster than any of our competitors would. And we can bring that inherent value and speed to you as a company. So what that looks like now, I and mean, we, we've got a couple of different service lines across that. We're now looking at the integration of the whole entire ecosystem. You know, we're getting well known with what tools do best for meeting recording and what tools do best for third-party reporting. And that's just going to continue to grow. And I think for us, like content's always going to be a big play there. Yeah, that makes sense. What um, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like, as we're setting up the business, do we set up a business? Like, how do we go into owning a business and decide, hey, do we want to sell this someday? Am I building this as a lifestyle type business? Um, what choices or decisions would I make differently depending on how we set it up? Where, well, the simplest answer or simplest question is like, where do you want to take Simple Strat? What's your long-term goal? Yeah, ultimately, if you would have asked me this when I first started the company, I mean, I think anybody thinks that like, oh, it's, we're going to do this and I could work on this forever. It's so fun. And then you kind of wake up one day and go, okay, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this forever. What do I want to do? So, you know, we do talk a lot about um, saleable value and the ability for us to have options. I don't entirely know what that looks like for me at the moment. I do believe that there needs, for me, there needs to be some sort of 
transition of value at some point, but I don't know if that's into our product. I'm not sure if that's into a, a sale or private equity, but I mean, right. what I want to do right now is I, I want to build a brand large enough that, that allows people to do what they love, have a good team environment, make a considerable impact in the industry and ultimately change the scope of marketing and sales automation throughout that process. Yeah. So I do have one child left at home. So I've, I'm giving myself about seven years. He's 11 uh, before I have to really make that. And, you know, seven years is a pretty good time to set yourself up for one of those things to happen. Oh, for sure. I think it's helpful, regardless of what your ambition is, I think it's really helpful to build like you would sell it. Um, mm -hmm. Agree. I don't, I don't think that that, you know, like any private equity uh, firm that comes in and buys an agency, the playbook is like step one, hire a salesperson. Step two, hire another salesperson. Step three, hire another salesperson. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know that you necessarily go like uh, that crazy with out of the box, but I think um, thinking, hey, there might be a sale or an exit or liquidity event at some point in time <clears throat> gets you to do, it gets you to think differently around like, hey, how is the business performing now and how are we trending over time? It also gets you to do things like, you know, take your legal compliance really seriously and build mm -hmm. out a data room and have your stuff uploaded. And that really has simplified. I only know a handful, I know a bunch of folks who exited or transacted their business in some way. And I only know a handful who've done it, who were actually prepared and had that stuff ready to go. And it's just such a different experience for like the common thing. If you talk to any agency owner who sold, it's like, this was the worst three to six months of my life mm -hmm. because I'm working crazy hours trying to pull this all up. I'm trying to do it all in secret and not tell anybody that this is happening. Um, and who, I don't know what it's going to happen or not happen. And it's got a huge, uh, financial implications for my life if it does or doesn't happen. Um, and then a totally different, you know, it's it's going to be stressful regardless, but totally different um, tune from the folks who have, and usually because they were either a partner or got were privy somehow to mm -hmm. a prior one, um, or this was their intention and they had a failed one at some point in time. And the next time around, they were actually ready and prepared, but totally different experience when they've got those things buttoned up. So I do think it's it's really helpful to think in terms of, hey, am I prepared to exit this at some point? Um, and that would be great to have regardless of, of what happens down the road. Yeah, one of, and I'm sure you referenced this on the podcast before, one of my favorite books is, is Built to Sell. And initially when a friend of mine, John, he runs a website design agency, they focus only on a specific type of, of CMS build tool. And we used to have a mastermind. And when we'd meet in our mastermind, we always had a bet with the other group members of, of how many times he would mention the book yep. in every single mastermind. <laughs> so I finally listened to it because um, I don't, the books that are fables, I struggle to read them because I can't underline and take notes. But if they're fables, yep. I'll listen to them on Audible. So I listened to the book twice. And every single time I come back to that part in the book where he says, I'm ready to give up. I'm done. This must have some sort of value. And he goes to his friend and his friend says it really doesn't. And that's, I think, you know, trying to look ahead and learn from other people's mistakes of you think you think you have so equity worth something, right. but it's only worth it to you. Yeah. So what am I building that's worth something to somebody else? And that does reframe your thinking quite a bit. Uh, that's such a good point. Yeah, your level of sacrifice has nothing to do with the value of the business. Exactly. Like, it, it feels like, no, I've I put so much into it. And it's like, that that has no, uh, that doesn't mean anything to somebody buying the business. What you put into it, what matters is like, what's the state of the business today? And mm -hmm. um, and where are you? Um, are there any other books that, uh, that have been really influential in your um, entrepreneurial career? Yeah, as far as the shift from selling, well, I, I would say the shift in realizing that we are, again, a services business, 
one book that I just, I recommend to every agency owner, any professional services owner is how to win client business when you don't know what you're doing. And that's, I think it's Doug Fletcher. I think that's his name. Um, I, I looked him up on LinkedIn and shot him a note. because I was like, this has been so impactful. Again, I listened to it and then I read it and he has another one called the trusted advisor. And I think so much of, of understanding how people buy professional services is so important because it's not Yes, we're getting leads from YouTube, but they are going there to learn something and they're developing a relationship with us on that YouTube channel because our faces are there, our personalities are there. People will ask us, do you follow a script? And we're like, not, no, not really. Like if you watch them, you'll see that we screw up and it's it's real and genuine. And I think that those, like that book alone has has changed a lot of my perspective on how we look at things like trust factors. Like awards don't matter to me but they hold a little bit of prestige in the client's mm-hmm. mind. You know, the onboarding process to us may be like, oh, it's buttoned up. But then the client's like, I haven't heard from you in two days. And to them, that was forever. Right. So that book was helpful. And then anything that talks about the customer experience and ideas and psychological stuff. So like thinking fast and slow, the way people perceive and price value. Like I've learned a lot about, about that from you all um, and creating consistent expectations. So Anything hmm. around that would be highly recommended. Yeah, those are all really good. Uh, Thinking Fast and Slow um, is a really good book, but I feel like some of those books, um, and that one sticks out to me in the same realm, like a little bit dense, the first, like trying to oh get Oh my gosh, it well, it's first. like, it's like I'm on video, I'm showing this giant, it, it's huge. Right. I'm a big fan of, I am, well, I'm, I'm very frugal. Let's not use the word cheap. I'm smart with my money. Let's put yeah, it that right. way. There we go. Um, but I use the library app to read a lot of books that I know, like if I sometimes read them there or, or look at them enough to know if I want to buy it. Right. Yep. And the library app often has these pretty terrible reviews of business books. <laughs> and so I bought, I, or I, I checked out the one that was like, I think of like Rockefeller habits. Um, and it was great because you just got the habits. You didn't get all this superfluous other stuff. Right. Thinking fast and slow has a couple of those that I would recommend maybe yeah. instead. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Psycho Cybernetics is kind of like along the same, uh, some of the same lines. As yeah. Well. Like same thing with like, I, I love um, any of the psychological perspective from like Huberman Labs on how to make myself more effective. But man, I don't have 60 minutes to talk about a bunch of stuff. Tell me the three things I right, should do right. every morning and like, <laughs> let me go. We need the, the hacks channel for that. Yeah. 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 Um, that's awesome. I ask everybody this question. What's your number one tip for other agency operators? My number one tip for other agency owners would be decide what type of leader you're going to be and understand what that means for your team. And the reason I say that is I think when you, especially if you don't come into agency ownership necessarily as like, I went to school for leadership and entrepreneurship and all those things. You come, you know, like the E-Myth, I guess, is another one. You come as a technician. You come with this understanding that everybody knows your skills and as much as you do. And really, when you realize there's different types of leaders, there's technical leaders, there's more charismatic leaders, there's going to be people who um, have a lot of capital, so they're able to use a network. For myself, I realized that I am a very idea and people-driven person. And what that means for my team is sometimes I overwhelm them. And I need to understand how to ideate without spoiling the rhythm of our company. So um, I've been privy to that thanks to some insights from our, my business partner and a coach. But um, figure out what kind of leader you're going to be and then make sure you're getting coaching or insight or some sort of assistance to help you become that person. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's awesome. So let me uh, say that back to you, though. I think you said decide what type of leader you want to be. And then you named some different types of leaders and told us what type of leader you think you are kind of naturally. Is that in line, like, is what you described in line with who you want to be? Or what type of, like, do you have a clear picture in your mind of here's the leader I want to be? Yeah, well, the leader I want to be makes other people feel really good about learning new things Hmm. and makes them believe they can do anything. Um, makes them wake up and realize that the world is is exciting despite the amount of obstacles that are in their path. Um, I think the leader that I am sometimes assumes that to be true and does not acknowledge the fear and yeah. the anxiety that we all deal with. So I'm now, I think, realizing what that journey looks like to go from where I am to where I want to be and realizing that, you know, you're probably never going to get there because you're always regressing to how you're typically uh, wired. But, you know, that that comes day at a time. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, going back to conversation with um, Carl Sakis, which uh, was recently on the, on the podcast here. Um, he said it was talking about leadership as well and going through um, kind of a leadership, uh, just awareness and improvement exercise. And one of, the, one of the parts of that was getting 360 degree feedback from the team. And then having this uh, construct presented to him of like there are um, a couple of different axes and one is competence. So the competent leader is extremely good at getting projects done on time and to scope and in budget mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And then there's <clears throat> this dimension called warmth. It's like how you make other people feel mm-hmm. as you move through that. And so the feedback that he took was like extremely competent, but not very enjoyable for everybody else along with it. And this was quite a while ago. And so that was an opportunity he embraced to then figure out, Oh, how do I make this fun for people? as we're going through it or rewarding, um, engaging for them as they're going through it. And when he said that, I was like, oh man, that's me. Like, I'm very much like, hey, let's go get this done. And let's, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very driven. And that's not a bad thing at all. Um, But the other side of that is, hey, what's the experience for everyone else? Um, Mm -hmm. Can we create a good experience where people relate? And so you mentioning, um, you know, being people oriented and the experience that they're having coming from that. Uh, I can definitely relate to relate to like working on that area um, as a leader. Yeah, we just did the working genius assessment with the team, and this is where some of those insights came from. Yeah, um, seeing that for them, they talk about going from this this um, left side being wonder all the way over to tenacity. So you have wonder, um, uh, yeah. uh, you have invention, discernment, uh, galvanizing enablement, and then tenacity. And so your team building people kind of live in the middle of that. The like taskmasters live on the end of that. And then the ones that are like, let's try things differently, live on the way far left. And so you do need a healthy team to have all of those qualities. But if you don't understand that about other people, like my husband is 100% a tenacity person yep. when he knows what's expected of him. When he doesn't know what's expected of him, he's like, what? Am I supposed to be doing something? What are you talking yeah. about? I don't have a list. So um, that's like, it's great to know that and uh, be able to lean into that and, and not just assume someone's not like you, right? Yeah, right, right. That's awesome. Well, this has been great. Ellie, thanks for making time to come on and share with us today. Um, give us a couple of the best places for folks to follow, connect, check out HubSpot Hacks. Where should we Where should we point people? Sure. Yeah. If you happen to use HubSpot or looking at that, the HubSpot Hacks channel on YouTube for us is one of the best places to go. We have about 130 videos there. You can just go youtube.com forward slash HubSpot Hacks and you'll find us. If uh, you visit our website, simplestrat.com, we've got resources there. We've got links to videos. We've got 
lots and lots of blogs, like why your HubSpot's broken, how to fix it. We've got like how to do reporting correctly. So definitely check that out. And then I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. If you follow me there, I, I tend to put out quite a bit of content as well. That's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on Agency Journey today. This has been great. Yeah, thanks for the invite.